This week on a lively experiment, the debate lights turn to the candidates for Rhode Island's 2nd Congressional District. And Ashley Kalis continues to turn up the heat on Governor McKee down the stretch. A lively experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazenwhite, Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us with the analysis, Wendy Schiller, political science professor at Brown University, Rhode Island Republican National Committee man Steve Frias, and political contributor Scott McKay. Hello and welcome to Lively. I'm Jim Hummel. It is great to have you with us. Seth Magaziner and Alan Fung had their chance to go one-on-one -on -one in back-to-back -back debates for the first time this week. Not surprisingly, each camp claimed victory. The big question, did the statewide exposure help sway independent voters who make up a good chunk of the voting population in two recent polls. So, Wendy, this is the first time they've talked a lot about each other. This is the first time they got to actually talk to each other. Your impressions on the debate? Well, I, mean, I think certainly given the poll trends, Fung has had a lead for quite some time, and the advertising, whether it's magazine's campaign or outside groups, has not dented that lead. It's only got a little bit bigger, even if the poll uh, margin of error is a little bit large. Uh, you know, magazine is a good debater. Fung has never been a great debater. I mean, he's a very, you know, likable, respected guy. He's a sort of hometown favorite son. Uh, but I think he, he stumbled a little bit, and magaziners sort of pounced. Whether it's going to matter and whether it's just a little too late, that's the big question. Yeah, I thought magaziner uh, did better than I had expected. Um, the que well, give me your impression of the debate, and then we'll break it well, down. Well, I mean, I think the debate... The bottom line is I don't think it changed much at all in, in the numbers. As you were saying, uh, Professor Schiller was saying, Fung's been ahead. I don't think anything came out of that debate that changed things. I actually think Fung had a good debate. I mean, the instant poll on WPRI afterwards had him winning. And in the debate that I saw, um, I felt that Magaziner was interrupting Fung periodically. And then Fung rebutted the two strongest points that are being made by Magaziner against Fung for the last month, which is you're going to do a national abortion ban, you're going to cut Social Security. Alan Fung was very direct, very clear that he's not. I think that deflated Magaziner personally. But I also think that he really hammered away about the, you know, Alan Fung doesn't want this nationalized, clearly. <laughs> and that he said, you know, your first vote's going to be Kevin McCarthy and trying to lump Fung in. Well, I don't know whether that sticks with having him in with the radical right. I don't know. The problem is, for Fung, it's simple. He's going to be a freshman down there. He's not going to be able to shape policy in any big, big way. Does this mean you have him elected already, Scotty? Or not? No, I don't have him elected. <laughs> I think it's going to be a close race, and I think Gilbert uh, being in there uh, could, frankly, uh, hurt Fung a little bit. Uh, every vote that Gilbert gets probably goes the other way. The other thing about Magaziner is this guy has been a public official for eight years, and yet nobody's going after his record. There's nobody really upset at what he did as general treasurer, and Fung doesn't do that. They try to, and the Republican PACs have him out there as this guy who's an elitist, having martinis, and anybody who knows him or knows the family knows that's not true. People from Bristol know the family, know his mother especially, as someone who's very grounded, they're very involved in, in good works in Bristol, been patriotic speakers at the 4th of July. It's like they're Rhode Islanders, and... The thing is, is that the Republican Party has shifted so far to the right in Congress that I get why 
magazine is trying to nationalize this because Kevin McCarthy, these people, you're looking at Jim Jordan being head of judiciary. You're looking at 140 Republican reps who were election deniers. I mean, let's face it, this is not your father's or grandfather's Republican Party. It's not John Chafee or Link Allman's Republican Party. And there's nobody from New England. Why, why do you think, Steve, not the record? Is it too wonky, general? It's not easy to dig into investment strategy and all of that. Why, why haven't they talked about his uh, record? Two reasons. Uh, first of all, general treasurer is kind of like a, a ministerial job. Okay, it's not really a policy job, number one. And number two, what is the most important issue right now in voters' minds? Cost of living, without question. Gas, groceries. So what was the debate primarily about where Funk talked about and where the attacks are coming from? A lot of it is on cost of living under the current last two years. And even when Fung attacked Seth Magazine, it was his support for the TCI tax, which was a new tax that Democrats proposed that would increase uh, costs on gasoline and heating oil, for example. So I think when you're focused on, you gotta focus on what the issues the voters care about if you wanna win. And what are they focused on? Cost of living and what's happened in the last two years under the Biden-Pelosi administration, they've gone up. So you can talk about how the party has moved to the right, but if prices have gone up, people are upset who's in power now. Yeah, so the, the question is, I sort of am looking ahead on this race, So, if, and, I, and if Fung wins the seat... Are you looking beyond November 8th? Yeah, I am, <laughs> looking beyond that. And let's just say, I mean, first of all, I think, you know, the other thing about why he would win, let's say, why, you know, why would he win? Well, he campaigned for governor in 2014 and 2018. People say, well, he lost, but he still campaigned in a lot of the places that are in the CD2. And they know him as mayor of Cranston, but also know him as somebody who asked for their vote twice before. Magaziner started this camp very, campaign very late. You know, you, normally, as you know, you're running for office, you're running for Congress, you start two years in advance. So this came very late. And, you know, I think there's a bit of an outsider, even in a small state. I think there is the sense that Magaziner's an outsider, and Fung is somebody that people, more people in the district know. They don't believe that he'll be a radical right Republican. However, most members of Congress vote with their party 85 to 90% of the time. I expect Fung to do the same. So the question really isn't this election. It's really, does he survive in 2024, a presidential year when the Democratic turnout will be higher? And he'll have to defend a lot of what the Republican Party is doing, which is not going to sit well with the average voter in Rhode Island. So what I'm wondering if there's some buyer's remorse here by people who voted. I think if Fung was running for governor this time, he would win. Um, I do think there might be some buyer's remorse, like there was with Sunland in 1990. People who voted for Raimondo um, instead of Fung and wish they had voted for Fung instead. Does that translate at all, though? Ramon, I, I think it helps that Fung has a lot of name recognition from his other two campaigns in the same way in 1990 that Bruce Sunland capitalized on this. What do you think? The simple math of this is that Alan Fung won the 2nd Congressional District in 2014, and in the 2nd Congressional District in 2018, which was a horrendous year for Republicans, Alan Fung and the Joe Trillo vote combined, which is more conservative, was only 0.2% lower than Raimondo's. So in to me, CD2. In CD2. Right. So the math yeah. to me from the beginning is Alan Fung's going to win this race unless he screws up. And that's what I thought. Uh, Scotty, last question before we move to the governor's race. What is Seth Magaziner's path? You know, if all the Democrats come home, as they always say, and he's got to go after the independents, what does he have to do to close that gap in the next two and a half weeks? Well, what he needs is a really good field and turnout effort. Uh, you know, and, and I think the best thing he's got probably going for him is organized labor in that respect. Because he really does need a bigger turnout uh, something closer to a presidential year than the traditional midterm. Uh, you know, and the other thing about inflation, I mean, 
This is all over the world. France, the UK, all over the Western world has inflation worse than ours. As we know, you know, we saw Fung just wants to run against uh, Nancy Pelosi and, and Joe Biden. But the fact is that inflation's because of the pandemic. Yeah, but the guy in West Greenwich filling his gas tanks, not thinking about Spain and Russia and the Ukraine. No, He's thinking but about, he, but this he, is the administration. It wasn't this way two years ago. It's, I mean, it's simple no, I thinking. Get, I get that. And I get that people vote on their feelings. Us people who are wonks and professors and reporters like to look at, you know, how issues play out. But a lot of people, they vote for somebody they feel comfortable with. And people feel comfortable with Fung. A lot of people do. And they vote on their feelings, not necessarily on, even sometimes on their own interests. All right, let's go to the uh, governor's race. Uh, Steve, the first time we had you on, Ashley Kalis was still getting name recognition. She, You can't turn on your TV or radio, and she is everywhere now, just pounding, pounding, pounding. What's your assessment on how she's run her campaign? I mean, I think that, let me put it this way, I, I like the attack ads. They're the best attack ads of the cycle. It's like... I love, you know, FBI investigation, pow. Paw soccer, pow. Raises, pow. I love it, okay? That's how you have to bring down an incumbent. And she's doing it very well. She's getting into the game. She's down 10 points to the Boston Globe poll. But I think the attacks are going to start, are continuously driving down the incumbent's numbers. If you're an incumbent getting about 44, 45, 46% of the vote, that's a danger sign. And these, I think these attacks are bringing it down. You're in media, she's doing now, the last past week. That's helping as well. I mean, the whole controversy over getting these right test scores out in a timely manner, that's helping her, too. So I think it's going to become more and more competitive. We'll see if she can close the gap by Election Day. But I think it's going to be a competitive race here on out. But a Republican still has to get more than 50 percent of the vote in this state. And that's an uphill climb. Yeah, no, but I agree. I think it's a very competitive race. And I think the dynamic, I have a little bit of a different take. First of all, she held her own quite well in the debates mm -hmm. uh, that I've seen. Uh, and um, I think the big thing is that there's not a lot of contested de Democratic races. So Providence mayor's race is essentially over. And even along a lot of the, uh, the Providence area, even Central Falls, Pawtucket, there's not a lot of competition. So that means Democrats aren't getting out the door. There isn't really this fierce uh, effort to get out Democrats in big parts of the state that Democrats do well in, whereas the CD2 race is really competitive. Every Republican is going to get out the door, and if independents are voting for Alan Fung, they may just say, well, I'm going to vote for uh, Ashley Kalis as well at the same time. So that CD2 race, I think, affects things. I think the McKee campaign should be worried about turnout. I think the Democrats may see really record low turnout, and if she can uh, capture that Fung momentum in one part of the state, I think she makes this the But isn't that, isn't that where labor comes in, in the get out the vote? Well, that's a big thing, obviously, for McKee. I mean, here's a guy. The reason, one of the reasons he's vulnerable is simple arithmetic. Look, two thirds of his own party <laughs> voted for someone else in the primary. And I think if Kalis had lived in Rhode Island for more than ten minutes and had some kind of a record, had been an elected official here, maybe a state senator, had some kind of a record, so people would understand what she's doing instead of saying that, you know, uh, DeSantis is her favorite governor and, and some of the stuff she said and looking like an alien and who knows whether she has a second home, what her real home is, where she lives. She's in Illinois. She's in Florida. Her husband's here. They're there. I mean, it still just doesn't add up.
Kalis doesn't add up as far as a Rhode Islander goes. We usually like one of our own to be governor. What about that, Steve? I look, I mean, I understand the argument that they're making is the carpetbagger issue. But I'm going to tell you something. If people are mad enough about gas, they're mad, mad enough about groceries, they have an administration that's under FBI investigation because the ILO contract and these boondoggles and these controversies and these incompetent issues, I mean, they'll vote for somebody from out of space rather than keep going with this this administration. Well, I, mean, I, I keep thinking that if uh, Helena Folks or Nellie Gorbea had run the kind of ads that Ashley Kalis is running now, because you know certainly folks had the money to do it, if they had run these ads in June and July, it especially Helena late, Folks, it? It came late. And, she, but, and she went after him in the debates, but even the ads weren't as hard-hitting. If they had just done that, particularly Folks, I think you, you look a lot, there's like sort of reminiscent uh, attacks in the Folks campaign and the Kalis campaign. I think folks could have won that primary, and I think Kalis would have a much tougher time against yeah. Trump. So, so, and the other question is Nellie Gorbea. You know, you're Secretary of State, so you're an incumbent. Uh, but on the other hand, you know, you didn't go full blast at all negative against McKee. And uh, I think those two missteps in terms of campaigns well, folks changed problem the dynamics of was this race. just a bad internal running the campaign, switching campaign managers. If she had Katie Nee, for instance, who's running Magaziner, folks would have won. And also, folks uh, didn't have good field. She started off kind of, you know, it was stuttering stops and halts, and it's too bad because she was a very good candidate by the end of that uh, race. I mean, I was going to say, Jim, where I was here in August, I said, I'm keep, I think Helena Folks had a lot of potential. We kept saying, where's the potential? Right. If she had been running those, those ads right. against McKee, like Ashley Kalis has been doing for last month, she started that in July and August, I do think it would have been a different yeah, and, result. And for political, for political observers, people who like politics, one thing is really looking at campaign decisions, right, as, especially as what Scott um, and Steve are saying, is that, is that you really have to make smart decisions every step of the way. And we've seen a couple of major yeah. Democrats with lots of resources not make the kinds of decisions that they should be making, including the National Democratic Party, you know, in terms of abortion ads. We can get to that later. You know, running them nationally doesn't make sense. Running them in some areas makes a lot of sense. Running them in Rhode Island probably doesn't make as much sense, at least right now. What, what I don't get is this whole re releasing of the ride scores. You know, we know they're going to be horrible. And McKee kind of boxed himself in now. Well, we're not going to do it for political reasons. And she's pounding on that every day. And so it's it's not the scores themselves that are the problem. It's how he's handling it, right? When you hear that we can't get them out early because there's only one person at the Department of Education that dollars in the bank, right? <laughs> that that well, can no, only process there, this. No, no, no. There's, I mean, there's certain there, when you get data files, literally, when you get anybody who does coding and data, when you get data files, you have to check the files. You have to download them. You have to make sure they work. You have to make sure they run. You have to make sure there's no missing data. You do have to clean the data when you get it. But so the, that's a reasonable but thing. But the high school principals were saying we have the data, but right. we have to check the names. Well, Not the I, scores, no, the, the names. No, I know, but you, it's all about how all the scores go with names in files, right? I mean, it, there is there are some data cleaning. I agree. It should be released bef now, right? If it's clean, it's, it should be released yeah, now. This but is you, another, you release bad data, then you create a whole other uh, difficult situation. However, this is basically a page, again, from the Gina Raimondo playbook, which she got away with yep. against Fung, as you'll recall. Yep. I mean, she did the exact Four years same ago. thing. Yeah. Exactly. She yeah. did precisely the same thing to keep these scores. And we know they're going to be bad. They're bad all over the country. They're bad even in Massachusetts, uh, which has some of the best public schools, as we know, from the past because of the pandemic and because of absenteeism, the so-called online learning. I mean, we know they're going to be low, and they've been low all over the country. Yeah. yeah I 
Except, except the Providence school system obviously taken over by the state. You know, Olorza had those kids back in school, right? So there was, they weren't remote uh, after the initial months of the pandemic. So I, I do think that there, you're right. I mean, you can make the argument it's bad around the whole country. And it, it is, I think if McKee had not had the other things that went along with his administration in terms of transparency, I think people wouldn't really suspect him of anything here. For him, it's state employees and unions. If they get out the door, he can win this governor's race. That's what got him through the primary, okay? But I don't know if there's enough votes that are going to be able to propel him into the, in, through the general because, as you were talking about turnout, the mail ballot numbers are not very high. Mm. And I've been watching the mail ballot numbers. They are not high. But or Republicans which... tend not to vote by mail. Exactly. We know this nationally. And, and if and anybody Democrats knows about know. mail ballots, it's uh, Steve well, Rice. I don't want to. <laughs> well, there's also. Too, but I've heard a lot of people say this year that they are voting either in person early because they can now. Yes. It's already started yeah. in Rhode Island. And they did it for the primary, as McKee knows. But a lot of that was actually mail, but also in person. So I yeah, I've watched the in person numbers. I think they might be more definitive this time than the traditional mail ballot. Yeah, the other thing that I think that is working in Kalos's favor, a lot of people say, well, you can hammer away, but what are you going to do for us? On RIFTA, whether you agree with it or not, she said, let's bring in the National Guard, let's let's do something. And she brought Bob Flanders in again, whether you agree with the, the legal or not on the electricity rollback and we can do something about the power, people see somebody proposing something that they feel may benefit them. I think that people want someone to try in the end. When you're frustrated by the status quo Kind of like some Donald way, Trump? That's we, we can we go. That's a whole other half-hour show. No, yeah. No. I, mean, I, I, don't, I mean, I think Kalis is. I'll let you you take this, but Kalis has navigated that really, really well. Right? She's like, I'm, the, I'm my own woman. I have these positions. You know, that's something where she hasn't really have had been tagged with Trump at all. No. She's basically focused on state issues. I'm running for governor. He's not in office. I'm not dealing with it. All right. But Pete. nobody knows what she'd really do because she has no elected record here. Neither though. did folks. So that was the one big, that's what probably cost in the end folks the nomination. Nobody knew what folks would do either. Well, but folks was really anchored here and her family and she grew up here and a lot of people know her family and know where she came from and realize that she was a Rhode Islander. And I think people know the status quo is bad, so they want to change. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll find out in two and a half weeks. Um, the other major decision is the Providence City Council uh, have taken a number of steps this week. The council last night gave first approval to the tax breaks that would uh, fund the Superman building. I think what was eye-opening, Scotty, and maybe it's a reflection of the rents going on here, that a studio <laughs> apartment, not the affordable uh, ones, but the, the non-affordable ones, $2,000 for a studio apartment in Providence. You're getting uh, New York and Boston prices now. But to the tax break, what are, you, what are you thinking about that? You know, I always worry about these things. Obviously, it's great for Providence, and that's why they voted for it to try to fill that building because that building uh, looks right now like uh, you just knocked the front tooth out of downtown's architecture. And I get that. However, you know, putting this much government money into a private sector project hasn't turned all out all that well over the years for Rhode Island. And I bring up Alpha Beta, there, of course, is oh, wow. uh, 38 Studios. I mean, and I look at this soccer stadium in Pawtucket, and some of it feels like a pipe dream to me. Yeah. Alpha I, Beta, he's digging deep, that, isn't that, he? That's, that's Bruce Sunland days. What do you that's think? Right. Yeah, I mean, I look, I mean, the Superman building deal is a super bad deal for taxpayers. When you're spending $40 million of local and taxpayer money, 
to get 57 quote-unquote affordable apartments. And basically what you're doing is in a luxury apartment building to some extent. Yeah. I mean, it is ridiculous to me, especially in a city that's like barely trying to find the money to pay. They're worried about their pension system going belly up. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It's terrible. So, so I'm going to uh, channel the, uh, the late departed buddy Cianci here and talk <laughs> about vision. You know, you walk around Providence now. I came here you know, 28 years ago, and I could not have imagined Providence as what it is today. I mean, buddy Cianci had imagination. It also cost $75 million in those days to dredge up and crack the parking lot and dredge the river and move the, uh, you know, 195. It actually ended up costing more than that. That's taxpayer money, too. And that was designed to renovate and revitalize the city which it did. If you want to be competitive, Scott's always bringing up Massachusetts, my pet peeve, if you want to be competitive with Boston, you create a city where people can live. Now, people who in Boston make more money, let's say, in salary, and they can't live in Boston, They'll, the train is very convenient, and this building is right next to the train station practically. There are lots of ways where you make Providence a very attractive destination for more people, which, which continues to revitalize the capital city, which helps uh, the state. So, I mean, I just Final don't, I don't know the issue. Well, uh, you know, you talk about CNC's vision. Guess what? The taxpayers in Providence are still paying for Buddy CNC's malfeasance when it comes to the <laughs> pension system because yeah. what he did for years was he just gave away the store to the public employee unions in return. That, that's for true, but that doesn't negate what he thought Providence could be and why that would benefit the state of Rhode Island. And but we've that seen was that those things have federal, come to fruition. But that was federal money and it it's wasn't still taxpayer because dollars. of Buddy. It's still it taxpayer dollars. I can't believe we're spending a million dollars on for affordable, a poor affordable housing units, like a yeah. million dollars a year. I mean, we can no, spend uh, our money much better I think than that. the biggest problem Wait, is the, the 195 land. Now, finally, the state, I see Shikarchi talking about doing something to get Biotech. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes, biotech here. I mean, we've wasted this entire 195 yeah. land. It's now Trader Joe's and some restaurants and some mm -hmm. apartments. This was supposed to be the new biotech thing. I mean, Brown's done some good stuff there. But there's nothing, this is nothing like anything that's happening in Cambridge. But you, well, again, comparing it to some place that, it's not Rhode Island. Let's just deal with what Rhode Island is. We have development, we have more housing units there, and, and we have um, you know, more jobs coming with Trader Joe's. And you have to just one step at a time. But to say, you know, taxpayer dollars are taxpayer dollars. Federal, state, city, local, whatever they are, they're taxpayer dollars. And you can't say, oh, I'm okay with spending in this way, but I'm not okay spending them that way. All right, let's uh, shift to national since we have... Uh, uh, an eye on that, and Wendy, you're the uh, the expert on what's going on in Congress. Um, foregone conclusion, the Republicans are going to take the House? Um, I think it's very likely. I don't think anything, we have no idea what will happen on Election Day in terms of turnout. I'm not sure what the margin will be. Now they're saying, oh, big, you know, big sweep. It's all about Democratic turnout at this point to limit the number of seats the Republicans pick up. And you just, Republicans are much better at turning out in midterm elections historically. Uh, 2018 was a big difference because Republicans or independent-leaning uh, Republicans, they voted against the Trump administration. That was very, you know, that was unusual. So uh, I'm looking at the class of 2018 that got elect re-elected in 2020. Those are the most vulnerable seats that the Republicans are going after. And we just have to see how they do. What so about the Senate? The Senate, I think, is a complete toss-up right now on that. If the Republicans don't win the Senate, it's because the candidates they nominated were just unelected. But also, does Fetterman hang on and, you know, against Oz? That's, exactly. That, I mean, that's I think of right? all the candidates that you're looking at, I think it's all, again, about Democratic turnout and Republican turnout. And, and the Republicans are much more motivated. So, But in some states, I think, 
you know, Ohio, for example, is a really interesting state. We'll have to see what's going on there. But, you know, it's, it's looking, un, it's unpredictable, the Senate right now. Uh, I tend to agree with um, Professor Schiller on the Senate. It's a toss-up. It could go either way. It's going to be down to candidate quality in Pennsylvania, for example, with Oz, Herschel Walker, and Georgia. Pennsylvania is going to be 1% either way. Uh, the House, that's going Republican without question in my mind. The question is just the margin of seats. And then what does government look like with House Republicans? When you have House Republicans there, what's going to happen is, number one, the Biden policies that have helped cause this inflation is going to stop, meaning all the spending that has been fueling this, uh, overheating this economy, that will end. And then you're going to have a divided government, which has been the norm in this country since 1968 for the most part, most years. And so what happens is you've got to compromise, you've got to negotiate. And this is probably one reason why you should have Alan Fung in Congress from Rhode Island. <laughs> there you go. Out. There's a pitch. <laughs> Scotty? I think the Democrats keep the Senate and lose the House, probably. I think we're not necessarily going to know election night. I think there'll be a lot of close races across the country. You may be looking at recount territory. Uh, who knows uh, what will happen? I do think that uh, Mitch McConnell is right. I agree with him. And uh, that if his party does lose the Senate is because of poor candidates, mainly because of Trump. And the problem with Republican governor, governor governing problem is that these people are, there's a lot of really right-wing crazies here who want to do things, I'm talking about the Jim Jordans and Marjorie, three names and those folks, they will have power in the House if uh, Kevin McCarthy's speaker. And you're, you may see things that people aren't going to like, like shutting down government, trying to leverage the uh, debt ceiling for things they want. And it's, it's not going to be pretty. I think it's not, I mean, and you're looking maybe at, some are talking about Medicare and Social Security and cutting back on that. I don't think that's... But, but if you think about quickly. this, in de deja vu, 1995, Gingrich came in with uh, 73 uh, seats altogether for the Republican majority when he won back the House. And then he overreached over the next nine months. And then Clinton won re-election really easily. Whether Biden wins or not, the Democrats, if they go too far, the Democrats will have a foil. The Democrats keep the Congress. There's no foil in 2024. And I think the minute this election ends, we're all looking to 2024, and I think that's the big thing you want to watch for, is that how does it set up dynamics uh, for 2024? All right, we've got to go quickly. I shorted uh, on outrages and kudos. Try to keep it to 30, 40 seconds. Mr. Frias, what do you have? Um, my outrage, this RightCast score issue. I mean, uh, I'm a parent, three kids in public school. There's no reason why we can't get these scores out. Why? I don't care about the election. I care about the educators getting that information so they can help get our kids up their test scores. We had some learning loss in the last year. It's terrible. It was tragic. We need to do better. And the right cast score issue is just reflective of we don't take these things seriously sometimes. What do you got? Of course you care about the election. You wouldn't be. Well, I'm just saying about right cast. Democratic I'm talking about right cast. My, my national right committee man. My what right cast score is my priority is my kids. You know, I actually have a kudo. I want to give some kudos to Patrick Anderson, Ian Donis, and Ted uh, Nisi and Tim White for doing a very good job on these debates, trying to hold politicians accountable because nowadays debates have... It's not like the old days. I mean, the debates are just sloganeering. All they do is sloganeering. You know, I thought Fung was running against Nancy Pelosi and Joe Biden yeah. and not Magaziner. So I want to just give kudos to those folks for doing their duty. I'm sorry, Wendy. We only left you 30 seconds. 
Uh, I'm just going to stick with my usual um, uh, guns in America. We have this tragic uh, situation where two Bristol, Connecticut uh, police officers were killed responding to a domestic violence call. They thought it was. This is one of the most lethal things to do. Police officers is respond to domestic violence calls. Uh, and so we have too many guns, too many lethal weapons of war. And I do think mental health is, is there, but it's also just simple availability. And I want more from government on that question. All right. Here, here. Folks, that is all the time we have. We appreciate your spending some time with us this week. Scott and Steve, good to see you. Aren't you glad you're not hanging out on election night looking at the returns for uh, yourself? It's, it's less, less nerve-wracking. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> for your wife, too. And Wendy, thank you. Uh, folks, we are heading into the true home stretch, uh, stretch to the election. Come back here next week. We'll have a full analysis on everything going on over the course of the next week as a lively experiment continues. Have a great week. Experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.